I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. And I am Scott Her- Herzog. <laughs> I'm you know? Scott Herzog. I don't know who I am. Who am I? <laughs> he's, a f- he's a face dancer. Arrowwood. Yes. And I'm the face dancer pretending to be Scott Herzog tonight. <laughs> Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast listener feedback show for Hunters of Dune. Of course, we're open to talking about any of the books that you guys want to write us about, but this is the one that goes along with Hunters of Dune, so we'll probably mostly be talking about that. Um, remember, if you want to be a part of the conversation, many ways to do it. Facebook.com slash Dune Saga Podcast. At Dune Saga Podcast on Twitter. You can hit us up on email, which is the most popular, Dune Saga Podcast at gmail.com, as well as. You can steal our memories and pretend to be one of us as face dancers. Come here, sit behind a microphone, and talk about it yourself while yeah. we're dead somewhere. That would work. Yeah. Um, but I think what David was going for <laughs> was actually the phone number, which is 1260577 chat. That's 1260577 Yep. Uh, before we get going, just a big thank you to all of our great Patreon supporters. Oh, we love our Patreon supporters. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you want to learn more about that, hit up our uh, Siege Bar or Siege Patreon on our website or go over to Dune Saga Podcast on uh, Patreon.com. Absolutely. So, there we go. Are you ready for some listener feedback, Scott? I am ready. Are All you ready right. for this first piece of listener feedback? I, maybe. Let's dive right in. Yeah, it's Roland's fault. He's in the chat room. Thank you oh, so boy. much for uh, for sending that in, by the way, Roland. This is Roland's thoughts on... I just rolled the wrong thing. This is Roland's thoughts on uh, on this book. So getting back into the Kevin uh, J. books. So here we are. Here we're at. So... Again, thank you, Roland, for sending this in. Hi, David, Scott, and Jim. Welcome back to the grotesque violence and time jumps, the trademarks of Brian and Kevin's books. However, it it was nice to get back into much easier reading. I enjoyed this book for the most part, but there were a couple of things that bothered me. Number one. Having the genes of all main characters of the other books seemed a little too convenient, especially having the genes of characters from the Legends books. Also, if the Tlaxu don't believe women are important, why keep someone like Cheney's genes around? Let's talk about that before I read the rest of the email. So what are your thoughts on this? Now, this is not, by the way, just a Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert creation. The null entropy uh, capsule was in Chapter House and Heretics already. Was it? 
Well, it was revealed that he had it. That he had it. Yeah. But he didn't say what was in it, did he? Well. Outside of Paul. Well, no. I think they Later they on. suggested it. They, okay. they, 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 did, they did talk about it in Chapter House. Okay. All right. All right. So, Jim, lead off. Okay. Um, j- just a, a knee-jerk reaction to this is, is Chani's genes would be important because, first of all, she's a descendant of Leto. Or excuse me, um, Liet Kynes. Um, she was married to Paul, and the mother of um, of Leto the second. So you know, somewhere in there, I would think that that she would be important. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. I would. I would see they probably they could see her as a as a tool of control for. Of course, women. Paul and Leto. Well. Let, let me let me interject this quick. Women are not unimportant to the Thylax because they are eventually what will be axolotl tanks. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So they their 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 personalities, their persons are not important, but definitely their bodies are. And I would think that you would want an axolotl tank with the best possible ingredients you could possibly have and it's not to me i mean the tiloxu were back in the legends books Mm -hmm. we have them and so for them to have genes of these people from way back then is not beyond the realm of possibility especially especially when you know how much they pass around the genes of um what's his face uh the baby like they everywhere you went there was like Nolentropy containers claiming to have just a few cells of the the baby that Erasmus right. threw. So when Serena died, I, you know, same thing could have happened with her, right? Religion wise, to me, I look at specifically Cheney and Jessica. Um, maybe not so much Serena since they they have her cells too, but but uh, Cheney and Jessica are family members of their prophet. And right. who's like the center of their religion. So I would see that just for the mere f- relation to the prophet um, and as well as Paul and all right. that stuff. So right. um, not, only, yeah. not only that, too, it would be a huge bargaining chip when dealing with the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're looking at this from a multifaceted viewpoint. Right. And I, and I think that if anything, it emphasizes how... So many of the character groups in this series look ahead and plan the long plan. I mean, specifically the Sisterhood and their and and you know even when they were created on Rasek, like they had all those genes breeding. Like it started then, looking to the distant future of humanity. And then you've got Leto's Golden Path, of course. And now you, now you know the Tleilax had a similar type of fallback plan or, or something right. in mind. Right. You know, they didn't, they didn't, I got, I get the feeling that even if they didn't know what they would do with it, they would collect cells just because someone's important that maybe it would be, it would work out for something later. Yeah. That pre-planning. Well, let's go to his second question. Question number two from there's again, is from Roland. I was annoyed that the handlers ended up being face dancers being a science fiction fan, 
I really enjoyed these alien-looking creatures, but was disappointed to find out they were just face dancers. Also, if the handlers are face dancers, why look so different from humans? So let me just you, let tall me, and lanky, right? Yeah, well, so let me just... Let me talk about this. On one hand, I agree that we are, we're given... It's sort of a letdown, because the whole book, the the Futa are looking for the handlers. Mm-hmm. And the ha- to get there and to discover that they're face dancers, that's kind of a letdown. But my interpretation of that is that I guess they were always face dancers, yeah. right? They were always. They, were, they didn't replace anyone no, that's because just... these are genetically engineered uh, creatures, the Futa. So. But they, they looked different enough. Yeah. From humans to distinguish them so that they would, I don't know, know, know who to attack. I don't know. Well, the pheromone thing was big with the futars. So maybe right. the bodies had to look like that to produce the right pheromones. So, yeah. I mean, if anything, a futar would make a really good, uh, a really good sniffer outer of, of face dancers. Yeah. That's, there's that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I took it as whether or not they took those that appearance to when people just came just to look different so that they wouldn't suspect them of anything or if they always looked that like that way. You don't know. There's no – the futars recognize them by smell so they could look like anything as long as they smelled right to the futars. Right. That's why they're always asking someone, are you handler? Because they don't have – a definitive look. You know, all these ways that they're trying to go about detecting face dancers, if only they were knowing that f- futars could identify them. I know. Yeah. And now there's no futars around. Yeah. Um, At least not that we what know are, of. What does other things say here? Um, I wonder, Jim, did you want to comment on this here a little bit? Yeah, I do. First of all, uh, for me, at least, uh, the face, the handlers ending up being face dancers uh, was a holy crap moment for me. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Is there, is there anywhere these people are not? The second thing is, is there are no aliens in the Dune universe. Yeah, I was going to say Every, that. Everybody yeah. in the Dune universe, are all the sentients are humans or descendants of humans that are um, mutated depending on the environment they live in. And so um, that's probably one reason why they would look so different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you right there. Something I I'm, I'm forgot to mention from his first point was the time jumps. And I actually liked the way they were done in this book because whenever you came to a break, it just pretty much said it's been this long since the beginning of the book. It was, there was never any like super huge jumps. Right. And I, I didn't mind that at all. Right. right. Anyway. So point three, here's a third question uh, from Roland again. How could Erasmus and Omnius be in the exact same situation as they were in the legend books? I think it would have been more interesting if Erasmus was in charge of the new thinking machine society or wasn't there at all. It seemed too convenient for the situation between Omnius and Erasmus to be exactly the same as it was in the Legends book. And he finishes the email, and we'll talk about them. Um, 
Those things being said, I really did enjoy this book. There was enough action and mystery to keep my interest. Unlike Chapter House, I did not find the reading of this book to be a chore. I give it a four out of five. Thank you, Roland, again for writing in. Let's talk about Roland's third question here. The situation between Omnius and Erasmus. I go back to my comment of he said he didn't feel they grew much. And I said any change, I was saying any change of all at all was substantial because they're machines. And well, so yeah. built into their ways. Well, and because one of the ways he overthrew the machines was that they were so predictable. Right. So to me, I felt that they were, they, even though it was small in there in its own way, it was still drastically changed. Uh, dynamic. Jim. Yeah, I thought they were drastically changed. Also, they seemed to be able to manipulate that not only their environment and how they see things, but also how others see them. And I don't remember that as one of their characteristics in uh, in the earlier books. Right. Yeah, being able to appear almost physically as with the tachyon field or whatever. Yeah, but however they're 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 mimicking human beings. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and they've carried on that ruse for a long time because I know in the last chapter Erasmus mentions that I guess there were f- not flaws but he wanted to change Omnius Omnius's point of view a little bit. So he wasn't trapped like he was in the same viewpoint as he had. And so he put Omnius into that forced perspective of the man and the woman. And Omnius chose to stay there for over a millennia, looking like that at each other. And I thought that that was interesting that, you know, just that whole dynamic there, that 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 was like a learning tool. Yeah. But... Yeah, so anyways, thank you for uh, writing in and giving us uh, those questions to ponder and think about. Uh, Ryan says in the chat room, he says, on Star Trek The Next Generation, how much did Lieutenant Data look, Lieutenant Data change over the course of the show before they screwed him up with the emotions chips? I felt that he changed drastically. I mean, you see more he change there. A, he was on a quest to become human. Yeah, that was the difference. Yeah. Well, he's a fully functional android. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. So is Erasmus. You saw what happened there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Dallas Smoker writes in. Uh, he says, "Greetings. I just finished Hunters of Dune and really enjoyed it. My first observation was that I am glad we are reading these books chronologically because it makes the events of this book uh, very enjoyable." Being able to link all the historical events to the current events kept me interested throughout the story, and I couldn't wait to pick it up again and see what was going to happen next. This book was especially enjoyable because I got to see all these great characters again from the previous books. And sure, while this may be regarded as pandering to the fans, it interlaced so many elements of the Dune universe that it really rewarded me for putting the time into reading all of the books, not just the original ones. Okay. Secondly, I am glad that the main enemy is the thinking machines again, and that Erasmus Erasmus and Omnius are back because it really shows the scope of these books. 
the true enemy has been focused on long-term plans beyond the scope of mere human understanding, and we get to see a similarity between the machines and the God Emperor. Thirdly, this book really cemented what I love most about this series, that there is a beautiful balance between superhuman abilities and technology. It has that good mix of almost magical fantasy elements with those technological science fiction elements. Also, did anyone else connect this book to Avengers Age of Ultron? I couldn't help but think of the no-ship with their elite team of Avengers prepping to defeat a thinking machine that the humans created. Can't wait to read Sandworms. Keep up the good work. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh and Duncan saying there are no strings on me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this book was based on the Age of Ultron movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's what he was saying at all. I know, I know. Uh, so, thoughts? Well, look at the uh, contrast between brothers on this one. Between Roland and Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't seem like Dallas hit the same points as Roland did. No, you know, he agrees with us. We mentioned this in the main show about reading these books chronologically did give a depth. Yes. A depth that you when getting into book seven and then book eight that we wouldn't have had. Right. If if we wouldn't have had the prequels. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. Yeah. Uh, anything to add, Jim? Not really. He, uh, in his first paragraph, he sums up uh, my feelings about reading them chronologically. I, I think that is really the only way to do it. Um, Erasmus and Omnius coming back, uh, that's going to add a real interesting element to the whole thing. And um, yeah, uh, I, I didn't catch a connection with uh, Age of Ultron myself. <laughs> um, you know, uh, maybe very loosely, and he kind of ties it in there. I uh, I agree. I think that uh, what what he pointed out that I didn't really think about a lot was the fact that you have the blend of technology with stuff that feels almost magical, mm-hmm. and um, and he calls it a balance. I'm not certain it's balanced, but it's certainly those elements are in a sense at war. Yeah. And what happens when you bring up one against the other? Right. It's and all that, been building. It is all built. It's all building. Hmm. Well, bringing back Omnius and Erasmus, I think that was supposed to be the big reveal in this book. Yeah. yeah. Setting us up for the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to the next, uh, Liam Cairns writes in. He says, hey, guys, loving the show and wanted to give some feedback. I'd love to join the chat room, but living in the UK, the timing of your recordings just makes it really difficult. Yeah, it's like 3 a.m. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthias makes it sometimes, though. Anyway, (laughs) for me, Heretics was the hardest book of the series to read so far. Not sure what it was, but something made uh, it a chore to read. I think, like Jim said, the storytelling element just wasn't quite there. I think also, struggling with major plot points being dropped 
in so casually, like the destruction of the Tleks, the Tleks and their home world. I agreed with your comments on the ending being a bit weird, and the idea it is just a bridging book of the trilogy makes a lot more sense. I thought it had a kind of Empire Strikes Back coda, musical reference for Jim there. <laughs> Which, on a loot. Which definitely give which definitely gave the impression of more to come. To be honest, I was really glad to hear many of my own statements about the book being voiced on the podcast. I feel vindicated. <laughs> In preparation of the next recording, I'm I am now on Hunters of Dune, and this will be my first Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson book. I'm almost halfway through it now and I'm really enjoying it. It was so much easier to read than much of the Frank Herbert over. Some of some of that is good. The storytelling pulls me in much more, and I'm getting genuine and I'm genuinely finding a real page turner. But some of it is not so good. I love the more challenging philosophical aspects of Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, and God Emperor, and slightly more intellectual approach would be nice. But overall, I'm really enjoying Hunters. Maybe it's such a uh, contrast to Heretics. Yeah, he. by the way, he did send another email. He clarified he meant Chapter House. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that makes... it was yeah. He was talking about Chapter House, and he realized that. Ah. So just wanted to clarify it for everyone listening. I'm really looking forward to going back and reading the rest of the Expanded Dune universe, specifically after Roland's recommendation. Personally, I see him as the fourth host. <laughs> Cole Hoad, gents. Yeah, you hear that, Roland? You're the fourth, fourth host of this podcast. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, thanks for writing in, man. That's great stuff. Uh, I, I I agree with a lot of what he was saying there about, you know, it, the intellectual stuff would have been nice, but it was just lifting of a weight to read this book. Well, especially after so deep, as deep as Chapter House went, mm-hmm. um, we needed almost a breather. Well, well, Liam, I would love to hear you write in after you're done with um, Hunters and going along with our conversation about uh, what it would have been like to read this without reading the prequels. Your thoughts there. Yeah, because uh, he will have done that. Yeah, because he will have done that. It'll be interesting to hear what he says. All right. Well, well, Jim, you're up next. Okay. From uh, Ryan White. And he's in the chat room as well. Yes, he is. So I will try to do a good job reading. Yes, guys, <laughs> I really enjoyed Hunters of Dune, which for the naysayers should be subtitles under subtitled Hunters of Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I was making it as read in Goodreads, and for some reason, the one star reviews were the ones up first. I read through probably a dozen, and I just didn't think they were fair. I'm sorry that Frank is dead and wish he could have finished Dune 7. But he's dead, and nothing will change that until someone is able to make a gola of him. Here, here. For now, the best, yeah. For now, the best we will get is Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson writing from his outline. To be fair to Brian and Kevin, almost everything was set in motion between Heretics and Chapter House to be resolved in Dune 7. Uh, Liberty to add a few things, including finding the hand Crone and his faith stancer minions, Uxdal and his golas of Paulo and the Baron, and Duncan and Shiana hooking up. But honestly, all of those subplots made, make sense and fit right in with Heretics and Chapter House. None of them were uh, were surprises which threw me off of the main plot. 
Uh, their writing style is different from Frank's. And to be honest, my head hurts a lot less when I read their work. <laughs> I'll just interject a here, here. Yeah. <laughs> Frank's depth was layered over layers so many times that some things could almost be too rich. Uh, that doesn't mean that the new stuff is shallow, uh, just that it moves at a different pace in a different manner. Uh, great paragraph there. Yeah, it is. All well right. written. Here are some things. Here are some things that are worth noting to me. Uh, the scheming between the navigators, the guild, the Exians, the honored maiders, and the sisterhood reminded me a lot of bargaining in Dune Messiah. Crone and his face dancer minions almost seem unstoppable since now uh, no one knows where they all are and how far they have infiltrated. It was nice to get the background on them and where they were altered in the scattering. Okay. And that's something we didn't mention earlier that the uh, honored maiders are the Lilaxu women. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's big. That's huge. It explains so much. Yeah, we forgot to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be angry too. Okay, anyway, going on. The Ithaca drama got tiring because of all the golas coming forth and all the jumps in time with not a lot of action. This will speed up in the next book. There appeared to only be one time jump. I'm curious about who's breeding with whom aboard the ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they give the number of children they already had but we don't get a clear picture. I wasn't surprised to see Belanda get killed and then mock Dory, uh, Doria in her inner memory. Too bad she got distracted and killed in the desert. The Valkyrie are some bad suckers. I'm picturing each one of them as a clone of Black Widow from the Marvel Agents movies or Marvel Avengers movies. Uh, they're attacked. Their attack on Thylax reminded me of uh, the version of the planet described way back in the Legend of Dune books. And I'm going to stop there and say an entire army of Natasha's would be awesome. And badass. Okay. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it, was a, it was a week end for Uxtal. We didn't talk about that. Let's stop. Swallowed yeah. by a worm. Or creature or something, the slug, slug. the slugs. That's eaten terrible. And, and then, then, then eaten for supper that night. Yeah. Mm. Mm. The, yeah. The way they described it, they just have teeth on the bottom, grind through anything, and it just crawled over him. Yeah. I just it for him. thought he was going to be free. Yeah. 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 Anyways, go ahead and read the paragraph. Okay. It was a weekend for Uxtal, but he was a coward, so it wasn't surprising. How clever was this guy to pull off all that he did without really having a clue? It seems a little unbelievable to me, but they had to get that knowledge from somewhere. It seems like he could have played things off a lot better when the sisterhood took over because of all he knew. It was nice to see Daniel and Marty finally drop their strange disguises and move forward with the invasion. I could totally see the honored maiders blundering in and taking the machine's weapons without fully realizing what they had done and what would occur. 
it just seemed hard to believe that the machines were just sitting around all this time waiting for something to click and then jump on humanity. This brings me to how much it looks like Battlestar Galactica series and the Matrix movies ripped off uh, Frank Herbert. Although I know that robots overtaking the masters who built them is not a new concept. Yeah. Overall, I really enjoyed the book more this time than when I originally read it because of all the background covered in Brian and Kevin's books. Hunters slash sandworms are probably the closest to what Frank would have written because he had already set it up with the prior two books and had an outline. I give it a four out of five because it makes sense to me Like, and I like what happens, but there is a lot of buildup to the last book and that can get tedious. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, the only point that it, made, it felt tedious was, I'd say, the last 20 pages. I felt like every chapter of the last 20 pages could have been the last chapter of the book. <laughs> you know? I love yeah. the uh, comparison to Battlestar Galactica, and that's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, the Cylons have been gone for this all this time, and suddenly they have this meeting, and it sets off, and sets could, off everything. They could look like anyone. They can. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so it really... The face dancers, you can see kind of where the roots of this. Now, that being said, the original Battlestar Galactica came out before Frank had written these books. Really? Right, because we're talking late 70s. When did Frank re- write Chapter House and Heretics? Oh, well, yeah, Chapter House and Heretics. And so, like, even and even any of these, I mean, not before Dune, but before these ideas were really fully percolated. So maybe Frank ripped off Battlestar. Mind, <gasps> mind blown. Whoa. No, I'm just kidding. Well, if we, I'll tell you what, if we think of uh, art as something that is shared. Now, in music, when a composer quotes another composer with a theme or something, we don't call that ripping them off. We call it borrowing. Yeah. Okay. Now, I could, I could certainly see Battlestar Galactic or something like that maybe borrowing some ideas. Or vice versa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I really don't have a problem with that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I'm I wasn't it wasn't a big thing for me. I I uh, I do like his point. Um especially the uh, I love the connection to Dune Messiah and the scheming that's going on. I thought that was a great connection. I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. I was just crying because I'm so emotional. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> R- Ryan White is saying that the Butler and Jihad and Thinking Machines were mentioned in Dune, which would have come out before Battlestar Galactica. That's true, yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah. I guess the full-fleshed, how they're taking on human personas is interesting, though. <laughs> whatever. No, I, I hear what he has to say, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, so let's, yeah, what, so anything else to say about what he had to say? He did a great email, by the way. Yeah, really well, really well written. First yeah, paragraph we doesn't, leave, doesn't leave much room for discussion here. He has this well thought out. Yeah. So, but uh, thank you so much for sending that in. All right. So the next one, this comes in from Mark Bags. And um, he, what he's doing in this email is he's thinking in the future saying, you guys are almost done with Dune. <laughs> and here are suggestions. Now, before we move on, Dave and I had this little bit of discussion before. Yeah. Saying that we're almost done with Dune is thinking that after book eight, we're done. 
Well, we are pledging to go back and read the school books. School books, uh, of which are two out, and we're kind of postponing them because we're hoping that Navigators gets out. Um, Dreamer of Dune and Road to Dune, at least, are the ones that we have in the docket. So there's at least four more books after right. Sandworms, and then and then we could do like National Lampoon's Doom. And if we wanted to review the encyclopedia, we have that in as well. Yeah, and then if Hunter, if uh, um, Navigators of Dune does come out, then there's another one right there. Yeah, and, we're, and so we're, and we're we're hoping to have Brian back on to talk about that when it does. Yeah, so it's it's at I least mean, into the new year. It's at least until 2016. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's great to think ahead because then we're on point, and there'll be less of a a break or anything between this and whatever comes next yeah so, we've all agreed that we want to keep going in some fashion right some fashion at all yeah. so anyways here's the email he sent and then we'll talk about it a little bit here okay. hello scott david and jim i thought that since you have finished the frank herbert books and there were only a few anderson herbert books left suggestions for a new series might be appropriate number one so he gave five suge- suggestions and let's uh Give us our thoughts. We might have to put this up for a vote then, but let me just put out here. Number one, the Robot Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. Talk about epic, about 20 books in this series. Two, The Martian Tales, John Carter books by Edgar Rice Burroughs. A bit of nostalgia, 11 books in this series. Three, The Berserker series by Fred Saberhagen. Started in the in the 60s and ending in the 2000s, this one was the first man versus machine epics, about 17 books. Four, known space series by Larry Niven. Siffy, sci-fi, was considering making the Ringworld miniseries, but I haven't read anything recently. Four original books, one single, and five more so far in the world series. Five. The Hichi Saga by Frederick Pohl. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's about what happens when humans encounter alien space travel technology. Only six novels in this series. Food for thought. Keep up the good work. Mark Bags. P.S. Please don't let David read this in the show because he's so bad at reading out loud. <laughs> oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, well. Um, so what do you think of these suggestions? Hey, they're worth looking into. Uh, I think we had talked about, um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, we did. That that could also go in here. there. I, you know, I, I don't think that we should limit ourselves just to science fiction. Um, cause I, there are certainly not a lot, but. I really want to read the Aragon books again and talk to somebody about them. The Aragon books. Because no one else has read them and they're really good. Well, we could take his list and we could also like throw in a little bit of ours and we could put it to a vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still get the final say. Right, yeah. I'm but... totally, I'm, I'm fine with the, you know. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know some of these, which is cool. I don't know if you know them, but. Either you um, familiar with the Edgar Rice Burroughs, read the Foundation series, the Berserker series. I my brothers read, and um, the Larry Niven book. I read the first one, and the Hichi Saga is kind of interesting. I mean, I definitely, from my point of view of moving forward, I, I would. I don't know. I guess we don't have to, but it's almost like I kind of want to stick with something that's relatively finished, as well. Right. You know what I mean, so that we have some sort of closure and things, but. I guess we don't have to, um, but 
Yeah, so it's like, for me, it's like, I, I haven't even considered reading the Game of Thrones books because... I'm either waiting for him to die or write the next book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whichever yeah. one, you know, either he finishes or, or, or he Or for them to make a goal of him so they can continue. Right, right. right I mean, right. you know, so uh, that's my thoughts. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm very open. Jim, how about you? Any, anything in this list looks enticing? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Foundation, Martian Tales. I read the first one. Uh, Berserker, I don't know anything about at all. Uh, known space. I don't know much about that. Uh, but Frederick Pohl, I've read uh, some of his stuff and I'd, I'd be open to anything on this list. Um, what if I were to throw into that list, uh, Nathan Lowell's books? Oh, the, uh, the quartermaster chronicles, the quarter, that, those. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're good. Yeah. I enjoy it. Nathan Lowell. And- Tell you what, I wouldn't mind reading them again. I just finished them. <laughs> no, they were they were they're they very enjoyable books. They're just fun. But as far as like David says, he that that you know, getting away from science fiction. Um, I don't want to go too far astray. No, no, no. Oh, I think yeah. he, he said getting away from books that aren't finished. Fin- Ser- series that aren't finished. Well, I did say I wanted to read a fantasy book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, when I, I say I, get, I hope, getaway I'm fantasy hoping. is probably the biggest step away right. that I would want to I would want to take because yeah. that's really I, I think I'm open I, I, I'm open to most anything really as long as it's not uh, romance novels. Well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Jim, just you and I. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I, anything that has Fabio on the cover is is something I will read. Okay, <laughs> David. Moving on, David. You do get you do get the next email if you want to keep reading. Okay. Well, luckily this guy doesn't personally attack me and my reading skills. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Jason Steele writes, "Hey guys, thanks for reading my email on the listener fa- feedback for Heretics of Dune." Reading Dune Saga in one year uh, was what he wrote about before. I wanted to give you an update on my reading. I started the saga around the beginning of January and bouncing back and forth between the books and audiobooks. I am now done with the series and almost finished with Sisterhood of Dune. And then on to Mentats. I thought a year would be doable to read the entire saga, but with yard work and uh, being able to listen to audiobooks while working, I can't believe I was able to complete the task in, and, and and resolution I set for myself, but when you have uh, when you have materials such as Dune, it's tough not to put the books down and unplug the headphones. Uh, while listening to your episode on Chapter House Dune, I still to this day have the real time strategy game Dune Two Thousand, a more advanced version of Dune Two, on my computer, and I play it every once in a while. It will always be up there with one of my favorite as one of my favorite games. I can't wait to hear you guys read and go over Hunters and Sandworms because I really want to see how you feel about the ultimate ending. So excited. Well, here's what I want. I want him to get in touch with us and see if he'd be interested in talking about this computer game yeah, on the show. I because agree. I have not played this game and I would like to chat and it's kind of extension of Right. This right. universe? Maybe if um maybe if you can record uh some footage of it being played, send it to us and then we can watch it and I'll talk about. Yeah. 
you know, just so we can see what it looks like. And anyways, anyway, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. So uh, let us uh, be in touch. Be in touch. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Jim, we had some Facebook comments, and these were all in response to us talking that we were going to be doing this show. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are people that we talked uh, about right now. But if you want to read any of those comments. Okay. Uh, Paul Tate uh, writes, question for the podcast. In terms of suspense, it breaks uh, to me as the best of all Dune books. A real page turner combining old and new world. Uh, it, or excuse me, would it be fair to say that the plot Frank laid down combined perfectly with the Anderson and Herbert? Uh, well, I think I think the thing here is is that the Anderson Herbert stuff was all written out of after knowing the the Dune Seven stuff, right? Uh, yes. Because they they, yes. Want, they wanted to reintroduce people, so they were they they so like the prequel books were put out there to reintroduce people to Dune, and then book seven and eight. But book seven and eight was already in mind. Right. So when they wrote theirs, I think you know that integration was in mind already. Whether or not that was all of Frank or a lot of them and some of Frank, I, I mean, I don't know. But um, yeah, I. I I love the way that they mix together so well in this book, and and uh, it's hard to say that you know they didn't have a lot of that in mind. Yeah, and uh, Jason Steele posted, "I finally finished both Hunters and Sandworms, and would love to see Frank's notes on everything we read. Would be very interesting." You know, someday it would be interesting to see like an unedited compilation of his notes. Yeah. You know, uh, J.R. Tolkien, so his son, which I'm blanking on, Christopher Tolkien, uh, released notes that his father had made on the Lord of the Rings books, a 14-volume set. Wow. I have them somewhere. Wow, did you ever read them all? I have read portions of them. But it, they're kind of the same thing. Like You get insight into like where did how Gandalf changed from the time he hit the books. Um, and so it gives you some of that stuff. It's huh. kind of, uh, was interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. But huh. so it'd be neat if they did something no. like that with, go ahead. Maybe it's time we, uh, we talk to, uh, Brian again. Yeah. And, and ask him if maybe one day he plans to take these notes and publish them. Well, actually pre, uh, discussion, uh, pre recording Scott and I had, talked about uh approaching him for something soon so yeah that yeah that would be one one good question i have Uh, i I have that uh entire series sitting up in the top shelf here i don't know if you can see it in the 14 volumes about 14 volumes of just the notes and the different aspects of lord and you read it all I read portions of them. Okay, because yeah. I'll say 14 books of just notes. Is... Yeah, no, I didn't read it. Cimmerillion was hard enough to get through. Yeah. I never uh, finished times. <laughs> okay, oh, and Ryan White posted, I am three-fourths of the way through Hunters. Totally different writing style than Frank, but the plot is holding to what was set up by Chapter House. Yeah, very true. Very true. And Liam kind of echoed that sentiment as well. Yeah. Yeah. Finish so. Chapter House today and making a start on Hunters now. 
Well, thank you for everyone on Facebook that contributed thoughts. And I know some of these thoughts were echoed maybe in emails that these people wrote in as well, but we appreciate you sharing in all facets. This actually yeah. came from our, um, our uh, website and in the comments, and this was from an anonymous, and this is maybe something I need to defer to David here a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was from anonymous. So we don't know who the submitted it. Quick comment, both this episode on God Emperor as well as the accompanying listener feedback episode refused to be downloaded when using Podkicker app on Android. Uh, the other episodes don't have this problem, so it might be worth looking into with what the problem is. Hey, I, and I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, there's not much. There was a switch of uh, where things were being hosted, but uh, didn't there really... Effect. If the other ones work, it should work. It's right. all, yeah. it's all the same, unless pod the what do we use? Podomatic or no? Blueberry. We use Blueberry, unless Blueberry had an update that changed it. changed it. In which case, yeah, there's nothing I can do because we use Blueberry. I mean, the best thing I could do is is you could always you can download it directly through the website. There's a little underneath the player. There's a little button that says download. Yep. Um, you can get it through there or, or um podcast app i use is called uh let me just look here i think it's called pod addict um uh, podcast addict and I, I love it you just put the rss feed in and it pulls it pulls it down and most things on itunes stuff are there so right uh rs rrs feed rss feed is pretty uh um pretty solid so. pretty stable yeah yeah all right well david let's read our final bit of feedback let me reopen my. This drive. is from Beowulf Schaefer. Yeah, hold on just a second. I don't know why it doesn't just stay where I was. Scrolling down through. Okay, Beowulf Schaefer says, "Love that you guys mentioned the Solar Clipper series. One of my favorites. I was lucky enough to find it pretty early on." And even got a first edition with an autograph from the author, which is very cool. I, I, it must have been you guys who mentioned it because I'm not familiar. Um, Nathan Lowe. That's the Nathan Lowell ones yeah. I was talking about. We, uh, the Sci Fi Diner podcast interviewed him. Oh. Uh, so, Beowulf, yeah. definitely check out the uh, Sci Fi Diner um, did interview. You, who was with you on that one? Uh, Miles. I think it was Miles. Miles and I interviewed Nathan Lowell. Nice. We had a. Uh, He's an educator. We had quite a long diatribe in education too. Yeah. So, but it was a yeah. I I reviewed those books on my blog too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's Jim Sci Fi blog. Check him out. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool for both of you. So let's uh, let's uh, move on to bad reviews. Um, I've got three here. Uh, I thought that these were pretty fair, um, as I think Ryan mentioned in his in his letter. The first things that show up on bad reads are the one star reviews. And uh, there was even a link to like disappointing books in the series, like right at the top. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, uh, if you dig, you find some people that kind of they were not so happy, but they also liked it. So we're going to start here with a four star review. Um, where to begin? The authors in the in the uh, prefect to Hunters of Dune state clearly that they had no intention of copying Frank Herbert's style in the sequel to Chapter, ha Chapter House. Thank goodness for that. The difference in style is jarring. Thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, uh, my app moved around. The difference in that is jarring. The Dune story moves moves from the Dune story moves form thoroughly well written divergences divergences to the haphazard journey from plot point to plot point across two decades. I'm torn about the resurrection of nearly every major character from previous Dune books as Gola. The original idea came from Frank Herbert, but I don't see the point of introducing a raft of new characters when the book is already filled with them. As for the book as a whole, I would I would rate it lower, but I want some kind of resolution to the story. I, I'm willing to plod through this mediocrity to the end. Less patient readers may not wish to do so. Not terrible. No, I mean he gave it a four star, but he he does so he, mention... he, he really doesn't like that Frank won the resurrect every single character, right? So he's really having a problem with Frank here, right? Which makes you wonder if if he read the all. I mean, at this point, the prequels would have been out. So if he read them and like relates to the characters, I don't know. Anyway, uh, any comments, Jim? Yeah, for me, the resurrection of all the all the the, the past heroes. Yeah. Is like, oh yeah, that's It really gets me fired up to read the next book. Yeah, uh, three stars for this one. I'm glad I read it, but Brian Herbert's style is so different from his father that it's almost an entirely different series. Brian Herbert is more Star Wars, where his father is much more Poe. In in that Frank Herbert gave his writing a lot of depth. The book seemed to drag on, and I kept waiting for it to get to the point. Um, chapter House, <laughs> talk about dragging on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, it's not when they're saying Star Wars. Kevin J. Anderson's written a lot in the Star Wars expanded universe. Yeah. So I mean, the, the fact that they feel like a Star Wars novel is not that surprising, right? You gotta wonder though. I mean, I guess, like for me. And maybe a lot of people, when they came back to read Dune 7, how long had it been since they read Chapter House? And that golden, you know, thing of nostalgia in their head makes you forget some of the bad parts. Because, like I did, I mean, I finished Chapter House and then I went on to read the six prequels before I read before I read this. I didn't, you know, there's, it's kind of daunting to be like, well, I mean, I could read the seven books before it. Uh, just to refresh, or I could just read the new books. So, anyway. Yep, no, with you. Okay, this one wasn't rated, uh, but uh, they had some interesting stuff to say. First thing I want to say about this book is that I would highly recommend it for any lover of Frank Herbert's incredible series. Expanded from Herbert's senior, expanded from Herbert Senior's own notes, this is the beginning of a much desired closure to the story and has held us all in thrall for decades. Therefore, my summary review would be, read it. My difficulty with uh, this new suite of Dune novels is what reads as a remarkable lack of subtlety. At times, it almost feels like the writers are worried about the readers being able to figure something out, and so they feel the need to explain a concept in great detail. What was hints and whispers have become blatant shouts of explanation. In the original series, we would get merely a passing mention of chair dogs or sligs with little but no imagination to fill in what they might actually be. The greatest example are the accidental tanks. Herbert Sr. seems to understand that the unknown is always scarier than the known. This insinuation was always there, but 
about what an axolotl tank was, but it was never directly uh, described. And as such, it was a much more ominous, ominous, often outright terrifying thing to imagine. By contrast, these books not only tell us repeatedly what axolotl tanks are, but have characters choosing that path happily. What was something that caused our skin to crawl became something that was almost normal, mundane, and even banal. Where the original Dune books were written with a with a, with a Benny, maybe I didn't copy the entire. Well, that was you. Yeah, so I might have missed some. But anyway, missed, but yeah. Um, so let's chat about the axolotl tanks here a little bit and what he's saying about it because he might have a little bit of a point here. Yeah. Jim, what's your thought in this? Well, okay. Uh, he says that that they were until you knew what they were and then they became mundane uh for me when when the first time i read the series and then up until i finally learned what it was i was not terrified of them at all because i saw like you always see in science fiction a great big tank with a body floating inside and hooked (laughs) up with cables and wires and that didn't bother me at all uh when the character and i can't remember who it was broke in there and found all these women human people that had been converted into this uh that horrified me yeah Yeah. they were trying to reduce a mall or whatever it was yeah Yeah. so it was revealed in herbert's books no no it was revealed it was those were the prequel books but didn't didn't Herbert also mention it? In the well, he, later? He, yes, in uh, Heretics yeah. is they kind of get the full. We kind of get the lowdown on it. Yeah, but and, it's suggest. Yeah. But I think what he's saying is it suggests it suggested, but they don't go fully describing what they look like. Like they did in the prequels, which was and, horrifying. Yeah, it was just horrifying. It's only suggested, and this allows your mind to kind of construct something even more awful. Is what he's suggesting. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything more awful than what it is. Yeah. I've got the last uh, bit of his uh, comments. Before we go there, just, you know, on one hand, what he's talking about is like the Alfred Hitchcock type of way of presenting something where what's off screen is more terrifying than what you see is on screen. Right. And so I agree to him with him to a point. Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert create something that's very grotesque and is almost stomach churning and so the impact of the two is different right one is very horrifying one is just downright grotesque and almost you almost can't stomach it right and um and so at one point i agree but i don't for me it wasn't any less effective right personally but i'll anyway. agree i'll agree with you there yeah so to finish the comments here uh where the original Dune book was written with a Benny Gesserit subtlety, these books are as if the honored matries have arrived to finish the tale, with a violent directness and lack of subtlety that promises to beat the tale into your head, where the original series forced you to seek it for yourself. So, I mean, it, that was just a conclusion of what he was saying. Anyway, yeah, but, it's, uh, but yeah. it's well uh, written. Yeah, I thought that it was good because he points out, he said, read the books. And then he yeah. points out what makes it so much different and and not like anything else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. you know, 
what makes the Butlerian Jihad so terrible that no that they can't create computers or thinking computers. That is explained in the Butlerian Jihad. Without that, your own there's a sense of mystery and you can conjure up something maybe a little bit more terrifying. Yeah. But when it's spelled out, maybe it's not quite as bad as you thought. And I think right. that's what his point that's kind of his point. Right. Right. I mean, I get what he's saying. It takes some of the excitement away. For instance, I remember when we read about the uh, Axolotl tanks for the first time and what they really were. I remember reading about it in Herbert's books and being like, what? Because there was so many, like, there was so much build up to it. I was just like, I can't believe that's what it is. But it wasn't horrifying to me. Uh, whereas in, when you do read the the first, you know, in the original, or the prequel books when you read it, it's a horrifying discovery rather than a shocking discovery. Well, what makes it horrifying is the one lady encounters is a operative they sent in and right. is transformed into this thing and it's terrible. Yeah. What has happened to her because you like her. Right. And that's what makes it all the all the work. But now we know. Well, what about what about in this book that we've been talking about with Rebecca who willingly does this? Right. Does it for she the greater good? Yeah, she does it for the greater good. Yeah. But you have to think that she, her life was becoming less and less of what she wanted to live. I felt. Yeah. You know. Also, we discovered in this book that you can be reverted. You can come out of being an exile tank through the honor matre. Well, the well, Benny Jesuit and fish, fish speakers freed the Talaxu women. Right. Some of them, some of them came back. Right. So I don't know if we see any more of that, but my no, first you, thought. You do, you do know. You just won't share. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's about it. Um, yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts, Jim? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end. Next month, we will be reading Sandworms of Dune and uh, going over that kind of stuff. So make sure you get your comments to us. You can email them at dunesoccerpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash dunesoccerpodcast. Twitter at dunesoccerpodcast. And you can also call us at the phone number at 1-260-577-2428. That's right. So, once again, for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrow. And may Shai Hulu clear the path before you. Jim does have a crown. <laughs> he does. He's he's. You you look good in a tiara. He's matronly. Yeah, I know. When I think of Jim Arrowwood, I think of matronly. <laughs>
the first thing that pops <laughs> into my head. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, listener feedback. Are we uh, ready to rock and roll? Everyone have it called up? <laughs> that doesn't help, Jim. <laughs> I think it? that's better. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is better, but. Uh, yeah, how do I turn? Oh, there we go. Yes. See, that was a problem. That's a, that was a problem. When I started those things, I would have to literally get out of Google to actually to turn, to, it off. turn it off. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh. It's, it's an improvement. It is an improvement. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> uh, leave that I'm on for the rest of the show. Oh, he's a futar. He's a futar. futar. <laughs> hey. I have a cat one for the futar. <laughs> Yeah, just playing around with stuff. I should probably stop before I knock myself off. Oh, they, no, they can't, they can't see, it. see it. Shame. It's the chat room down. Let me see it. Uh, let me start playing it again. Remember, but like, oh. How do you fast forward it? Good reminder. Or no, 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 refresh. Know. Bring it to the end, I guess. No, you can see you it. You can see it. You can see it. Unless you have it paused. Those, yeah, those, those, around with stuff. I should... those, those horns suit you well, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Now they should be able to see it eventually. Yeah. What really matters is we're about to get some in-depth. Uh... Oh, the picture. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I guess you have to talk when you're doing this, Jim, so that your yeah. picture becomes for, uh, you know, oh, front oh, okay. So. Well, what what is it we're trying to do here? Uh, we're actually trying to start the listener feedback show, but hey, if you want to keep goofing around, <laughs> goofing around. do so. Come on, this is serious time, Jim. We've been waiting serious. for you for a while. I'm not goofing. This is like Quakers meeting, man. <laughs> what are these Star Wars that your shirt is proclaiming? Yeah. Ah, I got two new shirts today. Ooh. Ooh, which 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 two new shirts did you? You get. Uh, I got the Tribbles shirt that was advertised. I, I'm not sure who pointed that out to me, but I went ahead and grabbed that. And then there was one that um, is uh, Philip K. Dick, the company that's in the uh, in Blade Runner. Okay. And it's got the logo on the chest and everything, so I got that one. Hmm. Oh, very good. I got to quit buying shirts. You do. I got to quit pointing him out to you. Did you? Did either of you see Terminator Genesis? Uh, not yet. Okay, Jim. I no. I wanted to, but I haven't gotten to see that one. I was gonna uh, say sci-fi. Diner. I wanted to take. I wanted to take Chrissy to it, but Diane won't let me. Oh. Because oh. she don't like Terminator. Did you see it, David? I did. I did. And would it? Would it be bad for an eleven-year-old? <sighs> It's not as it's not as violent as the other ones, or gruesome. I don't remember blood. Um, all of the buff parts aren't. You don't ever see anything that you would you you know. It's not. Well, then it's better than Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's better. I mean, but lots of things blow up, and I'm not going to pretend like people don't get hurt. But there's not really blood or anything like it's definitely it's not terminator 2 or 1 okay uh, it's definitely toned down i enjoyed it most people keep telling me they didn't but i thought it was good uh, i need a i need to watch it 
haven't watched yeah. it yet. The last movie this I went to see was Minions. Uh, this weekend, I'm looking forward to Ant-Man, and Chrissy is going to Ant-Man. Yeah, Darn I'm, it. I'm seeing that Saturday in Baltimore. Oh, nice. Maybe I should take Kiefer. You should. I should. It's supposed to be the funniest of all of them, so it's probably the safest one. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> anyway. All right, all right, all right. So let's get this futar rolling. Let's get this futar rolling. Let's get this futar purring. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You wanna you start the recording? Yeah, I'm I'm recording here. I'm just waiting on Jim to count. Oh, go ahead and count. He, he, he's able to count. Although he rated he rated the he rated this book a bit high. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Although I can only count to four, so yeah, right. no, apparently not because you can count to five. Apparently because you rated this darn book five. <laughs> but yeah, all right, here we go. In three, two, one.